Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. For tuning in, Divine Nobody's podcast. There's a weird sort of energy in the air, Jen. Yeah. Weird sort of energy, and it's just permeating through my entire being. It's just super intense. Do you feel? Do you feel what I'm I'm talking about right now? The super buck moon. The super buck moon. I mean, I don't know who <laughs> gave it that name, but that's a pretty mighty, full, powerful name. The super buck moon is amongst actually on our path right now. It's today, right? It it's is today? July thirteenth. Today's Indeed. the super buck moon, y'all. I mean, aside of it being a full moon. I always go through these like series of emotions during the full moon. I think everybody that's tapped into some level of their awakening, their body is just very sensitive to how the planets move. And when the sun hits the moon and the moon is just super massive in the sky, it just goes through my entire body and it just does lots of interesting things. Are you really sensitive to the full moon? I am. I am really sensitive to the full moon. And um, intuitively, whenever I was getting dressed for the podcast, I pulled out a shirt and it happens to have a full moon on it. <laughs> I know. So, I noticed that when you when you checked on, I was like, whoa, you got a little full moon on your shirt. And yeah. you didn't even know that you had a full moon, like intuitively, like you're yeah. you're channeling that energy. It's those, me- those, those medium powers inside of you knew what time <laughs> it was and knew that the super buck moon was here. I knew it was here. Yeah. yeah I, did I, was a, telling you I did a really cool like meditation on YouTube before this um, by Reiki Rachel. And um, she sends energy healings through her um, YouTube channel. So whenever you watch it, you receive the healings and it's really cool. She actually, the one for today for the super buck moon is really good. So if you guys get a chance, tune into Reiki Rachel and check it out. Oh yeah. It's a distant, that distant Reiki. Yeah. You, distant you've Reiki. done distant Reiki, right? For people. I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. And Reiki, they give you these symbols that you're sort of, uh, they're kanji symbols. They're, they're Japanese symbols that were passed down by Makawasui, like when you get uh, sort of anointed in uh, Reiki 1 and 2, they give you these symbols that you write on your hand and you could project that out into the ether. You could even do uh, in Reiki, they have this way of like, uh, you can get like a something sentimental or even like a, a doll. Some people do it like a doll mm-hmm. and you use that as sort of like this example of who you would be giving Reiki to from a distance. So you can use inanimate objects in order to give distant Reiki as well. Whoa. I did not know that's how it worked. Yeah. You mean that's not just how how it works? You could just sort of like intuitively project it out into the space, but there's some people that have like a certain, like a dollar or an item or something that they could kind of channel through that. Of course, you get to get permission from the person that you're giving Reiki to, but another way of doing it. Very cool. So what are the symbols that you write on your hand and what's like the symbolism behind that? Well, they're kanji symbols and they're supposed to be secret symbols, which means that you're not supposed to give them out to people that haven't been anointed in that whole thing. Got it. Okay. But there was one master symbol that I can talk about that is called the chokure, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a kanji symbol. I mean, I'd have to write it for you to see it, but it kind of looks like a circle and it's sort of like the universal healing symbol for Reiki. And uh, it's one of those uh, symbols that you can use pretty much for everything. That's called the chokure. They have the seheki and then they have the honchosejonin, which are like Japanese ways of pronouncing them. Yeah, and you so, pronounce those really well too. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So... <laughs> The, the whole idea is that you write it on your hand before you're giving a session to somebody and okay. say somebody's actually there with you, you gently lay your hands on them. And the whole idea is that, you know, when you're writing these symbols, these symbols sort of connect your Reiki energy to this person. It's almost like unlocking the gate, like opening the door for them to receive that. Cool. So and it's like a key. Exactly. Like a locking key. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, I was telling you also too, before the podcast, like there's little things that happen during the full moon that I noticed, like I, I make the Kratom tea. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the potency of, of the Kratom, the plant medicine is so much stronger during the full moon. It's never that strong anywhere else. And uh, so I think that there's obviously something to this whole full moon thing. I, I already believe that, but you know, mm-hmm. when we're tapped in and we're sensitive to our bodies, you'll notice that the full moon has this way of like moving through your body and helping you move through certain things. Some people feel a lot more drained during the full moon. It's happened to me before, but the reason why I guess it's, it's such like a, an important event is because it seems, seems to sort of facilitate this type of healing. So the, what is the super buck moon? I'm going to go over it just really, really quickly here because it's an important thing. It's rare for two reasons. One being that it's the very f- first full moon of the summer season, which we're already in summer, Jen. You already oh. live on the surface of the sun over there. 
It's a hundred. It was 121 degrees today. I know we are in summer. <laughs> 120. How was everything on fire over there? Oh my God. I, I felt like my skin was melting off. It's insane. Oh my gosh. So the name buck moon comes from the male deer, of course, who shed their old antlers um, around this time in order to in order for healthier, stronger ones to grow in their place. This moon's also considered to be a super moon. It's not even just a regular full moon, it's a super moon. Mm. Uh, since it'll be sort of orbiting closer to the earth, more uh, closer than usual. Uh, super moons tend to happen a lot more often. They occur, occur, I think, around three to five times a year. But this one is expected to be the largest super moon of the year, which of course intensifies all of the different qualities that people typically go through. I was particularly feeling the energy of it. So I did go into this kind of um, period of time where I've started to feel tired, but I think what we're going to be talking about today is all of the events that seem to be surrounding this moon that's happening right now. For sure. I, I know that you were feeling drained because I was also feeling really drained. I took a nap today and I never take naps, like ever. I'm one of those really? people that wakes up at five, between 5.30 and 5.45 every single day, full of energy, just pop out of bed like a little Sprite and it, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to go. You know, In the morning? Um, you wake up at four or five in the morning? I, no, no. I wake up between 5.30 and 5.45 every day. <laughs> in the morning? Yep. Oh, every wow. morning. And without an alarm clock. I just wake up whenever the sun comes through the window. So There's something to be said about that. You you, yeah. you are like obviously like connected to your natural circadian rhythm, but there are a lot of mm-hmm. kundalini yoga um, people that practice sadhana that early in the morning. And they say, just like you probably know, it's like the most opportune time mm-hmm. to spend with yourself mm-hmm. and whatever spiritual practice that you have because everything is just so quiet and you just feel so fresh and new from the sleep that you just came out of, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I wake up and that's the very first thing I do is I hop in my little chair and do my meditation in the morning at that time. That's that's pretty much my morning practice. But uh, yeah, today I just felt like super, super drained and I could not get energy to work out or do anything. I was like, man, what is going on? And I took a nap and I was like, oh yeah, it's a full moon. That's why I'm just like so exhausted, so depleted. And today yeah. actually is also my wedding anniversary. Oh yeah. Congratulations, yeah. Jen. Yeah. How about that? Wow. I actually forgot Somebody. about it. <laughs> I did. And Jeremy sent me a text oh. message because he's in New York um, working and he was like, tomorrow's our anniversary. I was like, it is. <laughs> oh my God, Jen, you can't say that. Know, you got to make something up. You got to be like, oh, of course, of, of course, course it yeah. is. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. We can go ahead and edit this part out of the podcast if you want to. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is real life, you know? I mean. It's true. No, it's true. It's true. And that's another one of those things too that I think like it's really important to be receptive to is at least around the full moon. And it's just, it's hard to sometimes find the motivation to move forward when there are so many different things that are happening. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously when you feel good, you feel good, but like sometimes the full moon brings out a lot of dark things, a lot of shadow, a lot of yeah. intense emotions. And not even just for us, like we are obviously every single day collaborating with other people and it's affecting them differently. I mean, it's one thing to like, for me and you to have a conversation about how it's affecting us, but there are people out there in the world that don't even realize how the full moon is affecting them. And Mm -hmm. if you've ever had experiences with these people, which you have, is they're just sort of like this wild ball of energy shooting off in all different directions. And there are other people around them that sort of take the blunt force of that. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So we're always being affected collectively from the FOMO. Yeah. I used to have um, a boss that wasn't spiritual. She would just, you know, kind of say this in passing. She was like, she was like, everybody's acting crazy today. There must, it must be a full moon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's this coworker that I had at work a while back and every single time Mercury retrograde comes around. Every single time we're talking about the trials and tribulations of human beings. And she's like, you know what? Someone needs to take Mercury out of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, Oh I don't know. I don't know. Because I feel like if someone took Mercury out of the sky, we probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. But it's a thought that counts in that whole thing. It's just, in other words, she's just saying it. Sometimes it's hard. And I think the important thing is to acknowledge that it's okay to feel not that well sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to breathe into difficult feelings as they come up and to not ostracize those or demonize those in any ways and just sort of feel into how you feel. I feel exactly the way that you did today. I felt really tired. I felt very drained. Found out that my mom caught COVID today, right? My mother caught COVID. She's okay, right? My sister, what's that? She's okay? Yeah, she's okay. 
she's okay, but it's like it's your mother, you know. There's like this experiential yeah. thing where it's like you're you're able to feel what she may be feeling in your veins because you're a part of her. And then I found out like you know just so many. I don't want to go into this whole like unloading all the things, but I mean that's obviously a big thing. And that's uh, huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hearing a lot of people got that, and that's not even the worst of it. There's been a lot of crazy stuff that's been happening in the world recently, right? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to actually take this as an opportunity to talk about an event that I went to. Yesterday, Jen yes. went to an event yesterday, and since we're you know in this realm, which by the way, I didn't I didn't go into the specifics about what this full moon sort of represents, but I I did want to just universally just sort of like represent it as there are a lot of really intense and deep emotions that come up, and that's what I wanted to kind of lean into because regardless of what the specifics are with uh, you know the time being in Capricorn, uh, the full moon is a really really impactful time for a lot of people. So it was for me. I went to this event yesterday for a friend mm-hmm. in memory of uh, a fellow soul brother who um, had passed away about five years ago today from cancer. Today? I'm sorry. He passed away five years ago as of mon- like Monday, last Monday. Monday. Okay. Okay. Right? So that was on the 11th of July. He was like a really close, really close friend, but he was also like a brother to a lot of different people, including a friend of mine. I'm not going to say her name because I didn't get her permission, but she was in this relationship with him. And... Mm-hmm. Just to kind of give a brief kind of summary of this whole thing is that, you know how in your circle you have people that are in relationships, then you have people that aren't in relationships, but then you have that one couple, that one couple that everybody has in their circle where they look at them and they're like, that is the most ideal relationship to be in. Everybody wants to model themselves off of that relationship and whatever it is that they do together seems to just be making sense for them in the world that they have. Do you know I people like that? that? I do. I love that. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And it's almost like this um, sort of like this really deep Brandon Lee and the crow type love, you know what I mean? Where it's oh, like they're, they're, the when you're around I them, there just seems to be, yeah, there seems to be this like ethereal, timeless energy between two people. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like that, that, that recognition that you feel with someone that maybe you consider your soulmate or your, your, uh, your twin flame. Imagine mm-hmm. seeing that from an outside perspective, like two people staring into each other's eyes, people two people collaborating. I went to a lot of festivals with them. I've been to a lot of medicine sort of journeys with them. And so this was a couple that everybody saw as the living embodiment of love between two people, right? Mm -hmm. And then he ended up getting very sick from cancer and passing away. So how long from the time he was diagnosed, um, how long did he live? Not very long. Not very long. I think it was a period of like six months to a year. It was like a really, really fast progressing situation. Won't go too much into the specifics, but it was one of those things that like shook the foundation of whatever, shook the foundation of the group that I was in. Oh, yeah. Because you never think it's going to happen to anybody in your group. You know, you don't really think it's going to happen to anybody. And for the most part, it's not a part of our culture to be surrounded by any idea of death because we don't physically get to see it with our eyes. So when it happens to you, like it shakes the foundation of a certain type of security that you like to kind of keep in your life. And when that happened, it changed the dynamic and the energy of everything that was happening in that time. And it was a really difficult thing to go through. So basically, just long story short, he had passed away from cancer and they had a she had obviously she'd gone through grieving for a long period of time, even after four or five years, just to give you an idea of like how deep it must have come to hit her after four or five years, she's still kind of moving through it. Mm-hmm. And she's she's going through her own sort of practice and trying to move through that situation. But she recently put together a book that she had published. And it was a book of short stories. And basically she reached out to all of us and asked if we could share uh, our own personalized experience or a short story about him. And she was going to bind it and publish it in this book. And she did. Uh, that's really right? beautiful. Yeah, it was this really so, beautiful book. So I have a question about the short stories. But what this reminds me of is the heroin diaries. I mean, not the same at all. Um, <laughs> but it's it's essentially a book of short stories. It's short stories, but from uh, other people's perspectives, right? So, you know, it's the manager put in his perspective of this one story. And then the the tour manager and then the... Um, you know, then Nikki Six himself and then one of the girlfriends, you know, so uh, was it like that or was it just, you know, everybody sharing different stories and memories from this relationship with him? It was people sharing. There wasn't like a, a specific format. Like you literally could have just provided anything that you wanted, okay. um, but it, it consisted of like a series of short stories of, of people having one-on-one experiences with him, people that grew up with him in, in school, like that grew up with him all throughout school. And so a lot of it was just like intimate memories that they that they had with him and it was like a really beautiful thing 
Um, it was a short book. It was a book of short stories, and I contributed to that book. Right, so I wrote something. Going to share your story? I am. I'm going to read it. It's not very. Oh, long. you are. Sorry, I thought of yeah. Amazing. I thought of um, maybe sharing okay, it on cool. and on the podcast because. Oh, I'm super pumped. A lot of people shared their stories. I think as a result of the book being made, right? Yeah. But I had I didn't deliberately like do this, but I think it was a day or two after he passed away in the hospital. I wrote this for him because at that time, okay. I mean, I had my own relationship with him. And he was a really amazing person. He was one of those people that like when you share space with him, you definitely felt seen, you know? He's like one of those people that you feel very present with when you're with him. So when he passed away, like it, it, it hurt just like it would with anybody. You know, I went to see him in the hospital. I saw him a day or two before he passed away and being able to like share space with him and then also be there kind of like was really, really surreal. And so right. the second that I, I found out, I wrote this. So unlike the short stories about experiences with him, I wrote this in response to what I was going through when he passed away. Okay. Right. So I'm going to read it off. And uh, the reason why we bring this up is because when I went, she, what she did was she put together an event where she invited the people that contributed to this book. And so all of us got together and it was a really beautiful, really beautiful little gathering. It was at her house down in LA and we all sat in sort of a circle and we shared the story by reading through the book, right? So I read my piece and we went in this sort of circle and everybody read their part of the book and it was really nice. And it meant a lot to my friend. You can tell that you can tell that it meant a lot to her, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it off. Okay. And this is really just a memory of him because um, aside of him, of course, passing away, I think there is some some wisdom that we can pull from this because this came For out sure. of a deep reflection and I was like really going through it when I read it, like really deep in it, you know? Yeah. Because when stuff like that happens, you're not just thinking, I mean, you are thinking about him, but it, it, it shakes the foundation of, of your life and you start thinking about your own life. You start thinking about your loved ones. You start thinking about just your, your own, own mortality. sort of, yeah. your own mortality, mm -hmm. exactly. Okay. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, so this is for Harvey. It's hard to know what to feel in moments of uncertainty. It's hard to accept the notion of unknowingness in the face of change. To place ourselves into the vulnerable space of faith we seemingly submit to the workings of our higher selves to solve much deeper questions that our causal dimension cannot answer. We turn our faces to the sky in a romantic plea to the universe in hopes that the divine question pose a fulfilling and more comforting scenario to grasp. What does this mean? Where do we go? What is the meaning of all this? It seems then that the question pulls us closer to the answer than the answer itself. The very spark of existence is the meaning. And our movement within the realm of consciousness is a simple, subtle form of that meaning expressing itself with the same force with which perpetuates the expansion of our universe from moment to moment. Science may call it energy, but in this field, we call it love. It is a creative force which expands in the same way our heart expands when we allow ourselves to love another human being. As to love is to move our ever-expanding universe into the higher realms of connectivity to our original source of inspiration, which we can call God. When we give up the linear constraints of time, we realize then that everything in the universe exists simultaneously and all at once. Nothing is left to chance. Every movement, every decision, every occurrence happens as a result of a carefully calculated story that we choose before we're carried off into this life. What happens then to free will? Man has free will to the extent that he knows who he is, to the extent that he understands that every situation happens as an opportunity for that soul to learn more about the vastness of its internal self. In spirit, it is conceptual until placed into action. We are celebrated across the universe for our courage to enter into this life to take on so many different things, the illusory nature of Mara, and in the quest to awaken to the divineness within all of us, and in the process, we impact those around us, we heal those around us, save those around us, awaken those around us. We are celebrated for our compassion and love for those on earth that long for that return home. Harvey was a dear friend, and he, he was a beacon and living embodiment of that spirit's journey in this life. He came to bring his light into the world, to heal those around him, to brighten the spirits of those that needed that love and completed his soul's journey by teaching all of us that love is what will bring all of us home. Rumi has a quote that says, goodbyes are for those that love with their eyes, but for those that love with their hearts, there's no separation. So for every spirit, there is a vibration of love within them and our simple recognition of that love connects that spirit to our center. 
So the love you feel inside of your heart for that person in that moment of recognition is the same as that person being there with you because love is experienced the same in both the causal and subtle realms. So when we think of them, that love that we feel in that moment is them. And before Sri Ramana Maharshi passed away, a devotee pleaded with him. He says, Guruji, please don't leave us. And Ramana responded, well, leave. Where can I go? I'm always here. I'm always now and in your heart. Although our dear brother has passed, he is always here, always now and in our hearts. Let us all remember him by choosing to love ourselves and others every day. In this way, he never leaves our side. We love you, dear brother. We will see you in the stars. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah, so I, I, I shared that, and obviously it was really difficult to kind of go through it, but, you know, every time you read it, I don't know. It makes me think of this, question, this, um, this story all the time of between Ram Das and a, a family where the, their child committed suicide, and I think I may have talked about it on the podcast before, because when somebody passes away that we all love, and we all love the people in our lives equally, it's hard for us to wrap our brain around the fact that something like that would happen, mm -hmm. especially if it's somebody that is so immersed in a relationship with a soulmate or a twin flame. Right. It seems like in that moment, like that is what is supposed to happen. That is the, the them being together in that relationship. Like that is what's supposed to happen. And so when that is ripped away so quickly, it puts a lot of things into question. It, it can put your own spirituality into, into question. You know, it's easy for someone like me to be like, well, there's a learning opportunity there. There's a reason. But if it's your partner, yeah, it doesn't matter what you think. You're going to be pissed yeah, and you're going to, be angry at whatever God you happen to believe. And you're going to be like, why, why would you allow this to happen to a soulmate or a twin flame? Or a child. And, or, or a uh, child. A exactly. Or a, yeah. I mean. Like somebody that you love that deep, you know? Right. So those things cross your mind. And that's the journey that she happens to be on. And everybody, that's the whole journey that people go through with grieving, right? Like everybody mm -hmm. goes through that. The, the denial, the acceptance, the bargaining, that whole thing. But it's still one of those things that you, you, it's hard to wrap your brain around sometimes because the assumption is that good sort of kind of conquers all. That good is a, like good and love is a sustainable energy that should see its way all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. So when somebody just dies suddenly, that question comes and that, that anger comes. It's like, why them, right? right. And yeah, there was a family where there- There's been a lot of death in, um, in my field lately too, just um, really? with kind of like accessory people, not people uh, that are, you know, direct- relation to me, but, um, yeah. one of Jeremy's, one of Jeremy's friends passed away, uh, last week and younger guy, you know, has a young kid, uh, like a six, seven year old kid. And, um, just seeing the videos of his kid, uh, as a, as a little baby, you know, but uh, not even a year old had a marker and was drawing on his chest. And, uh, and his mom was like, uh, Hey, why are you drawing on your chest? And he said, uh, to look like daddy because his dad had tattoos on his chest. Yeah. So just like super, super cute to see those videos, but also so sad um, that this, this kid is, you know, six, seven years old now, like not young enough where he won't remember this, right? Like this will be imprinted on him for the rest of his life, losing his dad, you know? Right. It's uh, And, and I, it, I can't imagine what uh, the struggle that, that this kid is going through, but also, you know, his mom and, and yeah. losing her partner and losing, you know, uh, her support system. It's tough. Yeah. And it's hard to, I mean, even from the most evolved spiritual perspective, it's hard if you happen to be the one going through it to rationalize that in your mind. Mm -hmm. But someone like, like me or someone like Ram Das, for example, they'll try in their best to kind of keep you grounded in this understanding that there's much, there's something much bigger going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And the world that we live in, we can't deny it. It's something that we, we, we cannot deny that this realm is specifically designed for these type of experiences to happen because death is an inevitable thing. It is something that happens. And whatever thought you have around it, that's the one thing that we all share common ground in is the fact that all of us at some point are going to die. Right. So at some point, if you really reach in there, it seems very natural. If you kind of take your emotions and your feelings out of something, like it's going to happen at some point, although it doesn't seem like we get a choice in the matter, but from a spiritual perspective, in some ways we do. It seems like we do, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that you have to stay grounded in this understanding that in order for the love that we have to exist, this other soul polar opposite needs to exist as well. And in that polar opposite exists death, 
tragedy, trauma, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to see how they both work collaboratively together and realize that, okay, it's this way because there's opportunities to learn for everybody. Right. And so this, this family, their son, or I can't remember if their son or their daughter committed suicide and they couldn't, they couldn't figure out why like that happened. And he just told them, he wrote them a letter and he was like, you know, there are some people that come into life for one second. There were some people that come into life for five minutes being birthed. And there were some people that come into life for 20 years. Some people that come into life for three years and then they leave because people are resolving karma. Like they, they are coming to do a certain type of work and then they leave. From the, I guess, the ego's perspective, it's really hard to sort of accept that. But from the spiritual perspective, it makes sense. If, if, if this, this is a game of learning and transformation and we're all eternal spirits, what consequence would it be if we come in for a few minutes and leave and if we come for 20 years and leave? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't mean it softens the blow anymore, but there's a much bigger sort of thing going on. And somebody like Harvey, for example, somebody like your friend, for example, that may have passed away and left an entire lineage of family left an entire lineage of friends. If I knew Harvey in the way that I did, he would have done what a, a compassionate person would do, what they consider in Mahayana Buddhism, which is what a bodhisattva would do. A bodhisattva is a person who is able to reach nirvana but delays doing so out of compassion in order to save suffering beings. So they can transcend into the next realm, but they make the decision to come back, even if it's for 20 minutes, just to teach the people in their life something. And I'm sure there's more complexity, and, and this could very well be the case, but there's a chance, potentially, that he came into life in order to teach her how to be strong, in order to teach her how, how to love, right, through loss. Like, he could have been there to teach all of us. I think, I really feel this, that he, he came into life to teach us all something, because the second he passed away, we all learned something unbelievably important once he passed away. And so I feel like it, it, if we're going to take anything from that, or if I'm going to try and find peace in that situation, I feel like, I feel like really like deeply that that's, that's what he probably did. People come into our lives to teach us very specific things. So let me ask you this: What do you think that? Um, what do you think he taught you? What is that very specific thing that you learned from him? I mean, that's like a really, really loaded question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a really, really, really loaded question, and we can have an entirely different other podcast um, about that. When somebody comes into life with such magnetism and like such like a loving spirit, he's one of those people that was just like a loving person, like all the way around. And when mm -hmm. somebody fully embodies that, that's somebody that feels like they're on a mission, right? Right. Like there's somebody that like, even if maybe they don't unconsciously feel it in their, in their veins that that's what they're doing, there's this love inside of them that's guiding them to just be loving in the way that they do. And maybe from a spiritual perspective, I would look at somebody like that and be like, that guy came with a fucking mission. Like he had a purpose, right? you know? And when something so abrupt happens that none of us ever, ever would have anticipated, it seems deliberate and it seems intentional because it, it shook the foundation of how all of us see our own mortality. And I feel like that is one of the biggest things that he taught us. Like by, by his passing, by, by leaving so abruptly that way. It's to not take not take your days for granted, even the bad ones, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, stuff it's like funny. that. It's funny. This is totally off topic, but um, it, it, there's a parallel here to stick with me. But I was talking to my sister today and um, she was talking about, uh, she's total crazy plant lady like I am, um, but she's much better at growing things than I am. She's has an amazing green thumb. So she's been uh, picking pieces of plants from, you know, all of our family members and, you know, propagating them and growing them at her place. So she was like, oh, I think it's really cool. I've never paid for a plant. I've always grown from seed or taken a piece from a family member and, you know, grown these plants. And I was like, wow. I was like, I've actually never grown a plant from seed. And I was like, shit, I'm going to do that. I'm going to grow a plant from seed. Yeah. And now, of course, I live in Las Vegas and you can't really grow a plant from seed here because it's, it's so damn hot and there's no water. Um, and uh, I was thinking about living in California and I was in California for 11 years and I squandered my opportunity to grow a plant from seed, you know, cause things grow so well in California. Right. And I was like, I was like, man, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of the time that I was in California. There's so many other things that I wanted to do. So, um, 
in a very small way. That's, that's my parallel, right? Like I took living in California for granted. And now I can only grow house plants because nothing will live outside, but cactus. And even then they kind of struggle. I have to water them. Yeah. So it's like appreciating, appreciating things while you have them, of course. Right. But I think that maybe the biggest thing now that I've had sort of uh, some time to ponder about it is he sacrificed his life for all of us. Because what better lesson can you teach somebody else than the lesson of detachment and loss when it's somebody that's so close to you and they leave so abruptly? Like, there's not a whole lot of things that can trigger you in that way, except for maybe relationships or that or that end and stuff like that. But there's nothing that like really, really gets to the core, like somebody passing away. And he would have had to he would have had to chose that before he came into this life, and that is like a a really important decision because that affects a lot of people, you know. Maybe maybe he was a Lemurian. Yeah. Because they choose how they, uh, when they're ready to die and how they want to die. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it could very well be. I mean, I, I think this is the best perspective that you can look at this, right? Especially if you're somebody that's on the road or the path to healing. If you remember that there's a, so a bigger story that's happening and that if the universe is intrinsically loving, then we know that there, there is intention behind that. And I know that because of everything that I learned from him passing away. Like even if it, yeah. even if that means just uh, teaching you how to love a little bit more, how to love the people in your life a little bit more, you know, like how how to never take your relationships for granted, because even if you're with somebody that you absolutely love one hundred percent, that you think you're going to be with for the rest of your life, and that person is suddenly taken away, that could happen. Yeah. That can happen to all of us. I totally could, and you know, just in this conversation with you. I can point out something that um, uh, that I think all of you learned from him too is uh, what it, what good looks like in a relationship. You know, you said that they um, were the perfect example of of you know a loving couple and how everybody you know kind of coveted and wanted a relationship like they had. So right. um, you know, there you go. Maybe that was part of the purpose too to set an example of what good looks like. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, there's so many, like you say, parallels. There's so many different areas that you could go about this. And because he affected so many different people, like th- that that's the thing. If one event can affect hundreds of people, you know, like we can do we can do a podcast and we can affect the number of people that listen. We can do a sound bath and affect the 30, 40 people, 300 people that happen to attend. But the second you you leave, hundreds of people can be affected by that. It can be the ultimate teaching for a lot of people. I think it's definitely been for her as well. And the one thing I wanted to bring up that I think is really interesting, really, really interesting, it adds an entirely different dimension to this, Jen. Okay. And I found this out yesterday. I think it's okay to share because um, it's actually very, very beautiful insight. He had a, a medicine journey. I don't know exactly when it happened. I don't know exactly the time frame prior to him leaving it happened, but he had a vision that he was going to die. You know, that's... um. I feel like pretty common. Um, my grandfather had a vision that he was going to die and he actually called me. Um, he died on my birthday. So he called me a couple of days early and um, said, hey, I'm going to die soon. And um, I just wanted to tell you happy birthday because I may not get the chance and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was really morbid. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Like, you're not going to like, why would you say that? You know? And then uh, two, three days later, he died. So um, I do believe that that some people do get kind of like a, a sixth sense or a vision or a dream right. or some type of intuition that their days are numbered. Some type of warning, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And um, I think the, the, the added element of it is just that nobody knew that in advance. She didn't find out about it until afterwards. Wow. And the reason why is because he was one of those people that didn't want people to feel sad. He didn't want people to grieve in that way. Like he, he, of course, it was a vision that he had. I mean, I don't know how many people would have taken that seriously, but you know, it, it, it was something that remained a secret until afterwards. And so he held on to it for a while. And so the, the reason why I think this is important is because it doesn't matter who you are. If you're in the midst of having to experience the possibility of dying, there's a whole lot of fear that goes through your mind. And in some ways you feel, um, you can feel almost lost in the desert sometimes. Like I couldn't even imagine what it must feel like to know that that is going to happen. But there's this compassionate thing that is happening in collaboration with between you and God or source or whatever God there happens to be, where he is placing his hand into life 
and communicating to you, it could be his angels, it could be his guides, it could be whatever, is communicating to him in a compassion, as a compassionate act to let him know like, hey, this is going to happen, you know? Right, to allow for some sort of preparation or some closure right. with people. S- some closure, so. but to also bring peace with yourself. Yeah, you know? that too. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, imagine feeling so alone in a situation like that and then God kind of coming and intervene and being like, hey, this is going to happen, but I'm letting you know because it's okay. You know, yeah. like everything that's happening, this is okay. Yeah. It seems intentional. You're supported. Mm-hmm. You're supported. You mentioned that it was common. I mean, I hope that people, every, every person gets the opportunity to have that feeling. If it's a situation where you have to just leave abruptly, if everybody gets the opportunity to have that conversation with God prior. Even the fact that he had that vision, even looking at it from an outside perspective, you're like, wow, that could so easily not happen. But the fact that it did shows that there is something bigger going on. Like there is some other larger conversation that's happening. You know, there's a plan that's happening and there's this force that intervenes at the right time and says, hey, this is a checkpoint. You are okay. This is what's going to happen. This is the next stage, the next phase of what's supposed to happen in your journey. So be ready and just know that everything's going to be okay. And then, and then it happens. So I thought it was just really interesting because that was a sort of divine intervention type of moment to know. So that she you, didn't know about it until after, after he passed, that he had yeah. this vision. How'd yeah, she find out? Somebody told him. I, I think it was oh. one of her family members or somebody. I don't know the, the full extent of how she found out, but she didn't find out until afterwards. Wow. So you he know. did disclose it to someone. I mean, cause yes. I, I, I'm sure, you know, uh, you and I don't find this odd, right? Like if I had a premonition that I was going to die, you'd be my first phone call, you know? Um, because yeah. I know that you would understand and take me seriously, but I feel like a lot of people would feel a little alone with that type of information. Like anybody yeah. that they were going to share it with would be like, Ooh, kind of like I responded to my grandfather, like, Ooh, don't say that. Like, why would you say that? Don't put that out there. Right. You know? And that's why I say you'd have to have known him because he's one of those people that didn't ever want people to feel that sadness that or pain. Yeah. Right. And that just kind of speaks to how evolved he was emotionally and spiritually, you know, like to him, it could have been like, that's between me and God. I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like I, I, I can understand why he would have decided to not, let's just say, for example, tell his significant other, because I mean, imagine how crushing that must be or how that would have been. Like, how can you be present with your partner knowing in those moments that like, this is going to happen. And I don't okay. know, still I mean, don't know exactly what the objective was, but I can see why it wasn't one of those things that was shared beforehand. Yeah. I mean, why, why talk about the inevitable, you know? Um, well, it sounds like he was, you know, obviously sick and, you know, this was, and his disease was progressing. So um, why add that extra burden, you know, to your, to your spouse that is already trying to deal with and grieve the loss before it's even or anticipating that grief, right? Yeah. I mean, and I could be happens. getting some details wrong. I don't know exactly how long beforehand mm-hmm. he had this vision, but say he had the vision and wasn't going through anything really significant. He could have just been like, oh, okay, well, I don't know if I should take that seriously or not. So I don't know. There's a lot of things to consider with that, but just the fact that it happens, I feel like it's kind of intentional. You know? Well, I'm curious about the other stories um, that were shared. You said there were um, quite a few people there. Were there any other stories that really stood out about um, you know anything specific? Yes, there actually was a story. There, there was a lot of them, so it's really hard to, to kind of go over them, and a lot of them kind of were pretty long. But uh, there was one that I remember, and it was uh, by a fellow named Justin Brault, and he had gone to school with him, right? Mm-hmm. So they grew up together. Right. Oh, wow. And his story, if I were to kind of paraphrase it, was kind of roughly going over experiences they had together when they were children and then growing up like through through school and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the one memory that he shared was like they were in Vegas or something. And Harvey was, was one of those people that typically was a, a people type of person. Like he was always communicating with others and he was always like very friendly. But this one night he walked off to like this cliff area that overlooked, I think, um, like Vegas a cliff. He was like over looking off into the distance. And he thought to himself like, well, it's not really like Harvey to do that, like to just go off on his own. And he walked over to where he was and he was sitting in a chair, just looking off into the distance, like off into just the scenery of nature. And he was sharing a moment by himself and he walked up to him. And I think it was their birthday or their anniversary or something. Um, and he walked up to them. Oh yes. They were both born on the same day. They've had the same birthday, right? They were celebrating together in Vegas. So he walked up to him. And as he walked up to him, they didn't share words. They were completely quiet. And they looked together off into the sunset and they shared 
what he can, what he said in his story to be a comfortable silence together. And out of all the memories that he had with this man, he thought that was one of the most significant because you normally don't get to share space, like a comfortable silence with somebody, especially another man, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) especially another man. So he was talking about how powerful it was that they were, that they loved each other so much that they were able to just stand together in silence, sharing space together. And he looked at, he looked over him and he's like, happy birthday, brother. And you know, they continue doing their thing. But the reason why this was so significant for me is obviously because it, it can be a difficult thing for two men to get on that page when it comes to intimacy. The way that he was talking about Harvey was that he was in his own special relationship with him. And he was. They grew up together. They had names for each other, nicknames for each other. Yeah. They, 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 they were like best friends in like the, 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 the strongest sense of the word, right? And so there was this really inspiring to have two men like with so much passion and love for each other as men, like fully integrated with their divine masculine selves, where they're able to be vulnerable, share an intimate space, and be completely comfortable with doing that. And so out of all of the stories that he's had, and he has a lifetime of memories with him, that was the most powerful, is to just share silence with him, with another man. And it does take a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, it does. You know? really does and that's uh yeah. it's interesting that they were in vegas too because i have like a little vegas comment you know a lot of people think vegas and they think the strip and partying and gambling and you know everything that happens down on the strip but um you know vegas is like in a bowl pretty much and um it's in the desert which has its own like spiritual beautiful magic right and in this bowl that is Vegas, the energy just kind of like circles around. And um, yeah, there's, there, there are, is that energy from the strip, but there's also the energy from all of the healers and the land and um, of all the magic that's here. So it is a really beautiful place and the sunsets here are just incredible. So I'm sure that uh, I kind of felt like I was there in that moment because I see those same sunsets and, you know. Uh, have seen those same views of the mountains and how how really beautiful and magical it is here. It's like your own, like uh, you share an intimate moment with God. Like, and I think I've talked about it before mm-hmm. when I lived in Arizona, there was a lot of open fields. And when I was yeah. a child, like a, a teenager, I used to walk out into the fields and I used to hop on top of the hay bales. Cause you know, like when you're going to the fields where they have hay, like you have those like stacks and stacks of hay bales that are just there. And I'm sure in Texas you see those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I used to go walk up there with a the guitar, with my guitar. And I would just sit there playing playing the guitar, looking off into the distance. And it was just like this really intimate moment that I shared with God in those moments. Like you, you can feel something there with you. And I used to also go there during monsoon season. So the rains would pass through, thunder and lightning. And I'm just standing on top of this hay belt being completely drenched in water and watching the elements throw everything around, like the, the rain and smelling the smell of the mesquite trees I'm hearing like this, the sound of doves in the distance. I'm seeing like the rain. You know, when you live in an area like Vegas or like Arizona, you can see the rain in the distance before it gets to you, yeah. right? Yeah. Or you can even see it raining over there and it happens to be very dry over here. Like those type of situations where you feel completely integrated with nature, there's another force there. And I think that force kind of res- it demands a type of respect. And I think that's the reason why we approach it with silence mm-hmm. because it's so much bigger than you, you know? Right. It's like so much bigger than you. So yeah, I can, I can see why he saw that as an important thing. And I wanted to just, I wanted to bring this up before we close is it's easy to see this idea of death being a, 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 a dark and an evil thing because we don't want the people in our lives to leave us. But there are certain things that, um, that I think that we can do in order to start changing our relationship to death in some way mm-hmm. and changing our relationship to our own mortality. And it reminds me of, I think uh, I talked about it before, which is, Maybe do it this way. You could keep a flower. Somebody's given you a flower before, right? Like you've received mm-hmm. flowers. I've received flowers. Keeping a flower in a vase. So if you have a flower, even one flower, everybody, you go outside, you can find a flower. Keep a flower in a vase. Put it in your kitchen, a place where you can always see it at every hour of the day and develop your own relationship with that flower. Like say hello to it in the morning. Say goodnight to it in the evening. Walk up to it every once in a while and sort of like feel its petals and be like, hey, like you are illuminating with color if it's, you know, flowers are, are really beautiful. I love how beautiful and like vibrant flowers are. And sort of like notice how it sort of dances in the light during the day. Then notice as, you know, the days pass that it starts to sort of gently, gently start to fade away. But it doesn't happen suddenly. Flower just doesn't one day decide, boom, I'm done. I'm checking out. It gracefully dies. Like 
you can see the flower as you go and, and you're developing your own relationship to it. The developing the relationship to it is really important because we can passively just pass by flowers all the time and not really see them. But make the intention of developing your own relationship with this flower. See it every single day in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon. Say hello to it. Say hi. And then notice as it starts to fade away. And notice what moves in you when we observe this slowly starting fade away. It's really, really beautiful to see something that's once so alive cycle back into eternity. You know, it comes to dance in your life only for a moment, like a short period of time. And then it slowly, slowly goes back. It, it at least to me, it seems like it incarnated in this life just to dance for you in those moments. And then they leave. And so I, I think it's a really important, at least practice for me, because this is something that I've actually done is take a piece of nature, especially a flower, that is so vibrant. Spend some time with it, developing a relationship it, a relationship to it, and then notice the feelings in you as that relation as that flower starts to die, because you develop some love and compassion for it. And there's that ego that comes in that's like, "Don't leave. This is so sad. Like, why does this have to happen? Like, why does things that are so beautiful just suddenly decide to leave?" And those are really important things to 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 pay attention to, but to stay grounded in that feeling of like, "This is the cycle of how things have to move." Like this is the cycle that has to exist in order for me and you to even understand love and in order for me and you to come to this place where we experience awakening. Because life happens, death has to happen. And because death happens, life has to happen. So changing your relationship and, and, and realizing that like this is a force that needs to exist and to appreciate everything that comes into your field, even for a short period of time. It can be something as insignificant as a flower that literally like lived its entire life just to have that moment with you in the kitchen, like yeah. just to have that moment with you in the garden and then just disappear. You can learn so much about life, even just through that relationship with the flower. You know, I, I think that there's another important lesson here too. And it's no matter how comfortable you are with death or your um, how much you understand death and the process, you're never going to be able to escape that human element. You know, you're always going to feel those human emotions of of loss and anger and denial and bargaining, you know, you're, you're going to go through that whole, um, process of grieving and that's okay. You know, and I, I kind of wanted to call out too, because some of our listeners may be thinking about this too, that this is the five-year anniversary of Harvey's passing. Right. And, uh, I'm sure there's some people out there that are feeling judgment on her for still grieving five years. Like, Hey, you know, it's been five years and it's time to move on. And, um, you know, I just want to say that, that there isn't a time frame on how long you should or should not grieve someone, you know, it's, it's really up to the individual, but to, uh, to also be aware that if you did lose someone close and you are in the, in the grieving process to make sure that, um, that you're also caring for yourself too, you know, there's yeah. ways that to cope with grief in a, in a healthy way that as to not hold you back from living your own life. Absolutely. It reminds me of that quote by Trevor Hall, where he says, you can't rush your healing. Darkness has its teaching. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. It's like the, the, the one thing that happens in moments like that is resistance. Like we don't want to breathe into these things that happen, but it's so important that we do, just like you said, as a part of that grieving process, it, there's, there's absolutely no time frame. I couldn't even wrap my brain around how long it would take me if that happened to me. Right. For, I mean, for think about breakups. Can, like how, yeah. how long you think about someone after you break up. I mean. Yeah. And in <laughs> some ways, to be honest, in some ways that, that pain never goes away. Yeah. And, and, and maybe a part of being adult is just practicing acceptance. Sometimes we have to just accept that that's always going to be there, you know, and move from that. But hopefully use it as an opportunity to like do something good or learn about yourself. It's such a tricky thing because everybody's so unique. Everybody's journey is so unique and how we feel emotions. It's so like specifically designed to them. But I, I just know that for me, it's important to always keep some sort of practice, even if it's small, to always keep your own relationship to your own mortality. Mm -hmm. Like to never lose sight of the fact that one day you will not be here. And you don't have to sit there and think about what it's going to be like when you die, but you could observe it in nature all around you happening as the seasons change every single day, all day long, if you're paying attention to it. You know, in winter, we can witness the, the death of, of, of everything around us and we can see the rebirth of all of those things as the seasons pass. And so I feel like always having your own practice of paying attention and, and using nature as a way to like help remind you that this is a part of life, you know, like this is something that needs to happen. And I think the hope is that if we always keep that recognition, that it is, it is something that absolutely has to happen, 
then maybe it won't be so difficult because it's one of those things that's built into the fabric of how we understand love and how we awaken, you know? For sure. Well, thank you for sharing your experience um, about your friend. And and I think it's super cool that she did this book of short stories and then brought all you guys together for a sound bath to share the stories and kind of like have that day of, of remembering. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it was really nice. And it's definitely one of those things that I wanted to share because if uh, you're, he's up there, you're listening, brother, we're thinking about you always, always in our heart. And uh, that's also one of those things that he, he taught us is that, you know, that love is in there and it's influencing every aspect of our being. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that love doesn't escape just because somebody else escapes. Like that love always lives inside of you. And so when you're, when you're thinking about somebody, it could be your loved one, it could be your grandmother, your mother, if they happen to not be here. If you feel that love inside of you when you think about them, that is them, you know, mm-hmm. like that is them there. It may not be in the same way that you see somebody that has a body in a living sort of incarnation, but that love that you feel is, is, is that frequency of them is them. Right. Right. That feeling, that feeling is them. So, crazy journeys, crazy journeys. This is a part of life. Life just goes in these crazy cycles, you know what I mean? And we're here along for the ride and so many things to learn from. Sometimes they're not easy to go through, but we learn so much about ourselves when we do, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's hard not to be sad about it, but you know, there's a lot of other things also to be grateful for. And finding a balance in between those things, you know, is always, I think, the practice... Um, That's the trick. Always looking for the light, you know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to Vinomity's podcast. Thank you for taking this really deep journey with us. It meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to Jen, too. And I hope it means a lot to you guys, and you guys can extract something really beautiful from it, just the way that I extracted just so much beauty from just one person in a series of people. And, um, yeah, it's hard. It, it, I get kind of emotional about it sometimes. But yeah, thank you guys for, for tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. You can reach out to us, of course, on Instagram if you'd like. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast if you guys enjoy the show. You can like and subscribe on YouTube if that happens to be your platform. We show these videos for you guys to look at. And uh, until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Namaste, friends. Namaste. Um,